When all I feel is fear inside, I don't wanna open up my eyes. Lord, I know I'm nothing at all. When I'd rather do anything than open up my mouth and speak, deep in my heart I hear you call. And silence is the warmest place to hide. Would you give me courage and bless the words of this speaking Hi guys, it's Mandy with the Speaking Wife Podcast. I can't wait to get into talking with you today. The past couple of weeks have been so busy and filled with so many different changes and adjustments in life. You know, it seems like everybody I've talked to this summer is feeling the same way. It's been a very fast summer. It's been a whirlwind of activities and changes and adjustments. So many different things going on with everyone. And I have really struggled with um, feeling the motivation or feeling the ability to step forward into the next situation. And I think that sometimes we don't say that out loud. We don't admit that, hey, it was a little bit difficult to even step outside today. And when we don't admit that, there are a lot of other people around us that are feeling that way and they feel like they're the only ones. So if you're feeling that way, if you have been feeling that way, if every moment kind of feels daunting and overwhelming, just know that you're not alone. And we know that it's not always going to be this way. But in those moments, man, it does not feel like it at all. It feels like life is just going to be this constant series of events that overwhelm us and discourage us. And I was speaking to someone recently about that and how when we were younger, we believed that life was going to get easier and less complicated and less overwhelming. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that that's not really what happens. It's not that we ever reach a point of such spiritual maturity or such wisdom that we never face a problem But I believe that it becomes more of a situation where we have become more skilled at which tool to use with which problem. That we have become better at wielding our weapon that we have against an attack that we're facing. Whenever our heart and our mind is struggling, I I did not realize for a very long time that I struggled with depression. I didn't really know what to call it. I just felt like that maybe I was just tired or overwhelmed or maybe things were, something was out of whack in my body and I can definitely deal with that. And I'm learning to recognize when it's that versus when it's an an issue that is kind of an external issue instead of something internal. But when I finally realized what I was struggling with, it made it a little bit easier because I could then identify and research the problem, if that makes sense. So when we first admit that we're struggling with something, that gives us the power and the ability to move towards a solution. And so when I was finally able to say, hey, you know what? I think I'm dealing with depression here. This is a a problem. This isn't just a blue day or whatever. And I think for some of us, it's very difficult to just admit that out loud because we'll feel like that, first of all, it's not spiritual to, to struggle. And we'll feel like that everyone else must have it together, so why don't I have it together? So we can kind of shame ourselves into isolation, which makes us isolate ourselves even more, which makes us isolate ourselves even more. The more isolated you get, the more isolated you get, if that makes any sense. (laughs) In my life, the more I pull away, 
the less people know to reach out to me because I'm not allowing anyone to get close. But I have to first overcome this issue in myself of feeling like that I can't even step forward because I'm so broken or I'm so useless or I'm so shattered, whatever I'm feeling about myself at the moment that keeps me from being willing to do anything in that moment. I'll be feeling that and I have to learn to recognize this attack on my mind. And so a lot of times just being physically exhausted will throw us into this place just being tired from busy schedules and things that have overwhelmed all of our senses, whether it's life changes, if we're moving, if we've lost someone, whatever the case may be. And over the past couple of weeks, I have definitely felt that over my heart and my mind where I'm struggling with even stepping out of my room in the morning because I know the demands that the day is going to have for me and I feel inadequate before the day even begins. And in this season of life that I'm in, I don't have time in the morning before everyone is up to have an hour-long devotion and prayer time and spend all this time being refreshed because my children have always woken up extremely early. I've been very jealous and envious of people that will talk to me and say, oh, my kids will sleep past eight every morning, and that doesn't even seem that late, but that's late in this house. And so... I don't have time to do all that. So there are many days when I realize the day is beginning. You know that moment when your eyes haven't fully even opened yet. And you know you're waking up. And in that moment, breathe a prayer of, God, I need you today. I need you today. Would you guide me today? Would you be with me? Would you put your hand over me, your hand over my mouth if necessary? Would you just be with me today? And simply making an effort to just have that moment is such an encouragement and the day does not go perfectly god is not my genie it, it he doesn't just wave his hand in my life be a dance through the lilies but you know what i mean having that moment of directing my mind like we've talked about before purposely purposely looking towards hopefulness purposely seeking out the good and then As I've talked about before, hanging things on the wall or surrounding myself with notes, whatever I need to do to remind myself that this moment is just a moment and it is going to pass eventually. So I've been dealing with that a lot this summer and a lot of people that I've spoken with are dealing with it as well, where you just feel tired and a little bit unmotivated or a lot unmotivated. But something that I've been researching lately that has been such a great encouragement to me is the life of C.S. Lewis. And I know that most people know that he wrote the books that then led to the movies that most people have seen, the Chronicles of Narnia. But one thing that I did not know was that when C.S. Lewis wrote these books, first of all, he did not write The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first, even though it became the first of the series. He didn't write that first. He wrote Prince Caspian first. But when he wrote these books and several other books, He was not yet a Christian. There was something inside of him that was just drawing him towards Christ. And he, whenever I read a lot of his writing, as we do most of the time, we construct a picture of what this author must have looked like and what his life must have looked like. And the more I begin to research him and his life, the more I have realized what I thought could not possibly be more wrong. When someone writes with such flair and such drama and such great storytelling abilities and brings all these things together and keeps you so captivated, 
and there's such whimsy and magic and so many amazing things in these books. I was believing he must have had an extraordinary life. He must have had things very easy. He must have had plenty of time to set and think of all of these wonderful, amazing things. And if you have ever researched his life, you have to be laughing at me right now because that could not be more opposite of how it was. I'm going to barely explain just a tiny bit of what I'm learning and then I'm going to have to just leave it because I'll mangle it so horribly if I try to say too much. But he was, his mother passed away when he was very young. He was abused by a schoolmaster who constantly beat him when he was sent to a boarding school. He went away to war. He lost the friend that was in war with him. He came home to take care of this friend's family. He spent his whole life in tragedy and chaos and constantly serving other people and being drained and pulled. And during this time, he was not a Christian. He had not accepted Christ as his Savior. He actually was an atheist at the beginning of of all of this when he began to write books and things of that nature. And during this time, he met Tolkien, who was, as most people know, is the author of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And they were part of a group called the Inklings. And they would meet and discuss their ideas and so many things. There's so much that can be gone into in just this story, this section of his life. But because of his relationship and his friendship with Tolkien, he was drawn to Christ. He was drawn to a relationship with Christ. And after he had written The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and several other books, then he received Christ as his Savior. And he wrote so many books afterwards that are so encouraging and thought-provoking and not the least bit shallow. These books are heavy material that when you go to read them, you have to pause and process and really, really think about. And so he's creating all of these incredible works of art through words that have drawn so many people to Christ and have encouraged so many people. And the more you read his life, the more you find out about him, the more you see that everything in his life was right. It was opposed to him becoming this person, to him doing these things. They have studies about him in Oxford, and they have an actual place there that a monument to him and a place you can go and learn about his life. And there's, he just lives on. It's incredible. But his life was filled with tragedy. His life was filled with heartache and pain. And as I mentioned a while ago, when he came back from the war and he was taking care of the mother and the sister of the friend that he had had pass away next to him in war, he was also trying to care for his brother and he was trying to teach and he was trying to write and he was taking in displaced children from the war into his home and he's doing all these things. And then later on in his life, he finally marries and finds the love of his life. She finds out that she has cancer very soon after they're married. She passes away and leaves him with the two stepsons that he had acquired when he married her, that he had, when, when he married her, that he had begun to take care of. And there's so many things in his life that it's just one wave after another. And I'm thinking in my life, it is so easy for me to look around at all of my situations, all the different circumstances going on, all the things that overwhelm me and make me feel inadequate and think, well, I will just wait until the next season and then I'll be able to do something or I'll be able to encourage someone after I get this under control or I'll be able to be do something amazing or help someone or really make a difference after I get through this part of my life. 
instead of seizing the moment that I'm in and doing what I can with what I have. It's so much easier to underestimate or to ignore the things that we can do right now because they don't seem as grand and amazing as what someone else can do. And so while we're passing up what we can do and looking at what others can do, the potential that is resting inside of us just vanishes because we're so busy believing that we can't do anything that we convince ourselves and then we actually don't do anything. And the more that I'm looking into his life, the more amazed I am that someone who had dealt with such tragedy and such heartbreak could become someone that was such an encouragement and such a a thought provoker of truth and someone that calls so many people to a true relationship with Christ where you have laid aside all of your predetermined ideas and you say, here I am, this is what I have, Lord, would you use me, show me what to do. And whenever I'm thinking about this, it's easy for me to think, well, life was different back then and things weren't the same as they are now. And all of these excuses, I am great at coming up with excuses. I'm just really, really good at it, but it still doesn't change the truth. We can have all of the excuse padding around us that we want. The truth is still out there and we can choose to accept it and move forward, or we can choose to ignore it and just set where we are. And I'm working really hard on accepting it and moving forward. I want to do something. And and when I say even if, I don't mean to, to negate these things or to devalue these things. And so I probably shouldn't say even if. I should say if it's taking someone food, if it's praying for someone, if it's sending a nice message to someone, if it's being faithful to my work with my children, if it's being kind and compassionate to my husband, These things that we can so easily devalue and just walk right over as if they're nothing are the stepping stones and the building blocks for the life that we truly want to have. They can lay the foundation for great change and great progress for lives that are encouraged and are hopeful because someone took the time to say one kind thing to them. So I am trying to fight that lie in myself of believing that if I just get through this season, then I can do something. But instead, embracing and opening my hands for what can I do in this season? Instead of waiting for it to be over, what can I do? A couple of days ago, I posted on social media about a moment that I had had with my son, or the moment happened a couple of days ago, and I posted about it, I believe it was just yesterday, and my middle son has told us that he wants to be a teacher since he first went to school. It's been a couple of years now. He's about to be eight and he had drawn a picture and taped it to the wall and he had selected a stick to be his teacher pointer and was pointing to different things on the picture and he had drawn what looked like a vast picture of valleys just up and down mountains and valleys mountains and valleys and then he had drawn a a little house up in the sky and that was to represent heaven we later found out but he likes it when he starts to teach and I sit down and I ask questions and so I sat and I was asking random questions I was trying to throw questions at him that would probably stump him and see what his answers would be he's very quick on his feet and it's it's a lot of fun to see what he's going to come up with when you're just throwing questions at him and he doesn't stop and think, he just answers. And so he was explaining so many different things and he explained his belief on why heaven is where it is and where he believes it is and why we have worms and birds and grass and all the things that we have in the world. 
And as we were looking at the picture hanging on the wall, I said, but why is, why are there so many valleys? I just want there to be mountains. I don't like valleys. I would rather be on top of the mountain the whole time. Why did God give us valleys? And he said, it's really hard to build a house on a mountain. And he just kept going. And we laughed and we went on and we finished up the lesson and he said several more amazingly insightful things and we just went about our day. But as I went about my day, that phrase just kept going over and over and over in my mind. It's hard to build a house on a mountain. And it was as if God was going, there is a purpose. You feel like that this is a waste of time, that this season that you're in is a waste of time, that these moments that you're facing are just a hindrance, but there's a purpose here. We're building something here. And the more I thought about it, the more it convicted my heart. And the more I went back in my mind to the hard moments and to the valleys of life that I've walked through so far. And those were without a doubt, the moments where my faith was anchored where I learned who Christ was in a way that no one could shake because my relationship with him was mine. It was real and it was proven because I had walked through moments where he was the only thing left to sustain me. And those moments were not on the mountain. Those moments were in the valley, in the hard times, in the dirt and the grime of tragedy and drama and exhaustion, all the things the the things that I've learned and the things that anchor me today, I did not learn on the mountain. I learned them in the valley. And so I've told several of my siblings that I need that stitched on a pillow to just be reminded of daily. It's hard to build a house on a mountain, but I want a house. I want a foundation. I want sturdy. I want safe. I want to have a relationship with him that doesn't shake. I want to have the ability to be a safe place for those around me. I want to have the ability to welcome someone into a home and let them feel at ease when the world around them is just swirling like crazy. If I want that and I want that stability and I want to be strong, then I have to accept the walks through the valleys where my strength can be found. And so that has just been one of those things that's been over and over convicting my heart and my mind over the last several days is just... It, it is hard to build a house on the mountain. So instead of looking at the valleys as just a season I need to just get through, if I can just pull myself through it, maybe there will be something better later. Maybe I can become something better later. But no, what, what can I become now? What can I do now? I think I've mentioned it before, but several years ago, probably five years ago now, I went to a women's retreat and the women, I'm sorry, you guys, I'm having so much trouble speaking today. The woman that was speaking, she said, be an atmosphere changer. You change the atmosphere. Don't sit there and wait for someone else to change the atmosphere. Be an atmosphere changer. And I would much rather sit and wait for someone else to take charge of the atmosphere and make things better and then me reap the benefits of them making things better than be the one that steps up in an awkward situation and finds a way to make someone laugh or make someone feel better or be helpful, whatever it is, being an atmosphere changer. And that's something that I have had written on my refrigerator. It's written on a piece of paper and hung to my refrigerator and it's been hung there for years and I have, it's been hanging there for years. And right on that same piece of paper, it says, bloom where you're planted 
and be an atmosphere changer. And so it's a message that I feel like that I'm constantly having to remind myself of because I want to just sit down. I want to just relax. I want someone else to do this. I don't want to purposely bloom where I'm planted. I want someone else to pick me up and set me in a more comfortable place, a more easy to bloom place. And that's something that I can't do. If I want my life to be full, I want my life to be fulfilled. I want to have a relationship with Christ. I want to make a difference in the life of someone. Then I can't be willing to set and wait for someone else to change everything. I have to be willing to open my hands and my heart and what tiny talents I feel like that I have and hand them to Christ and say, what can you do with this? And I'm willing for you to do it now. I think someone posted on social media several days ago, they said, if you ask God to move a mountain, be prepared to wake up next to a shovel. And I loved that so much. If you're going to bed at night, asking God to move mountains in your life, be prepared to wake up next to a shovel. And that is so true because very often, it comes through us being willing to make changes. It comes through us being willing to stand up and do some hard work. And often that hard work is on ourselves. When we would prefer everyone else get fixed, the hard work that we end up having to do is on ourselves. But I found a poem. Y'all know how much I love these. And I don't know if I've mentioned the name of the book before, but I found a book at a yard sale and I got it for a dollar because that's who I am. And it's called The Best Loved Poems of the American People. And this thing has been such a treasure to me already. But I found a poem in it, and it was by Ellen M. H. Gates. And it's called Your Mission. So I'm going to read that quickly before I wrap up this episode. My two younger boys have been upstairs this whole time. And I actually have, we have a new puppy. She's in the kennel in the next room. So it's a miracle that I've gotten to this point without any interruptions. So we're going to see if we can power through. But this poem, again, is titled, Your Mission. If you cannot on the ocean sail among the swiftest fleet, rocking on the highest billows, laughing at the storms you meet, you can stand among the sailors anchored yet within the bay. You can lend a hand to help them as they launch their boats away. If you are too weak to journey up the mountain steep and high, you can stand within the valley while the multitudes go by. You can chant in happy measure as they slowly pass along. Though they may forget the singer, they will not forget the song. If you have not gold and silver ever ready to command, if you cannot toward the needy reach an ever open hand, you can visit the afflicted or the erring you can weep. You can be a true disciple sitting at the Savior's feet. If you cannot in the conflict prove yourself a soldier true, if where the fire and smoke are thickest, there's no work for you to do. When the battlefield is silent, you can go with a careful tread. You can bear away the wounded. You can cover up the dead. Do not then stand idly waiting for some great work to do. Fortune is a lazy goddess. She will never come to you. Go and toil in any vineyard. Do not fear to do or dare. If you want a field of labor, you can find it anywhere. I love this poem so much. Once again, it was by Ellen M. H. Gates. And I love this so much because it's calling us to be active where we are. It's calling us to change things 
where we are, to stop waiting for the perfect opportunity, to stop waiting for someone to hand us this moment on a silver platter. Sometimes the most beautiful moments come in the most mundane of days, in the moments when I'm scrubbing another stain off the floor because the youngest has spilled a cup of juice or because the dog needs to be let out again, whatever the, the, whatever the circumstance may be. Sometimes the questions and the moments and the relationships that are built in those moments are the most beautiful, priceless things you will ever have in your life, and we will so easily miss them if we don't purposely choose to open our eyes to them. Life doesn't normally say, here I am, this is the moment you've been waiting for. But those moments are slipping by minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day with the people that we love. I am this week and next week planning, helping to plan a family reunion for my grandma's side of the family, the grandmother that I lost this year. And the more that I help with this, the more that I research it and work on it, the more priceless each moment seems to me because the pain of losing her is so fresh right now. And every moment feels like such a hollow spot without her. We just passed her birthday and it was awful and strange to not go get her anything. And I've been praying in these moments that I'm feeling this way. God, don't let me forget the seriousness of this moment that I feel. Because when I'm exhausted by my children, when I'm overwhelmed by life in general, it's easy to forget that these are the moments I'm going to wish for one time. I'm going to get to a time when these are the moments that I look back and I wish I could just have one more moment of everyone sitting around the table talking over each other. I'm going to wish I could just have one more moment of my four-year-old crawling up next to me and just saying, Mom, I miss you. I need you. Or please hold me. Sometimes they don't say anything. Sometimes they just set on you and you just know that this is their way of saying that they need me right now. And it's easy to just be tired and overwhelmed and overstimulated. But these are the moments that I'm building relationships with them, with the people around me. These are the moments that we're building, even though it feels like we're in the valley and we're just longing for that mountaintop moment. It's hard to build a house on a mountain. So we're building, we're creating, and we're cultivating while we're here in the valley. And if we choose to, we can see the beauty also while we're still in the valley. Thank y'all so much for listening to me. I know I've rambled a lot today. I didn't have as many notes as I normally like to try to have. But if you haven't looked into the life of C.S. Lewis, I would highly recommend looking into his background and all the different things that he faced. I'm The things that I said just barely touch on it. And then the story of Tolkien is a completely different different set of issues and problems that he faced. And it's incredible what God will do through brokenness and tragedy and heartache when it's turned over to him, he really, truly does give beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. And I believe that scripture says a, a garment of joy for the heaviness, the cloak of heaviness, if I'm saying that right. Thank you all again for listening to me. I'm looking forward to recording the next podcast with my husband. And if y'all have any questions that you haven't sent in yet, you're more than welcome to go ahead and do that. And I should get them in the next couple of days. He has had such a busy schedule. We have not recorded yet. And I'm sure that surprises everyone. But thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Enjoy the rest of the month of July. And remember to stop and purposely see the beauty in all of the chaos around you and that you are most definitely not alone.
Bye.